This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. Your guide on the side. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. In this time of year, all of our friends and family come flooding back to our homes, which is great, but it can also be really overwhelming. And you're going to have to deal with not only your kids, but a bunch of other kids too, probably, running around your house, all the cousins and the nieces and nephews. But don't worry, because I have got a good dose of parenting advice coming your way today. We've got back-to-back episodes about understanding children's temperaments. Believe it or not, not all children are the same. They are all wired in their own unique way. So this first segment is an interview with Dr. David Ratu, a child psychiatrist, and he has broken down children's temperaments into five different categories. Dr. David, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Great to be with you, Matt. So good to have you. Really, I mean, I have six kids, Doc, and... Uh, I, you know, they, they've all got just, they're so different. It makes me wonder if they're all mine. That's the amazing thing about temperament. And parents say that all the time. Do they? they say, I've, I've done exactly the same thing. I've parented the same way. And yet my kids are so radically different from each other. Oh, tell me. Okay. So when we hear the word temperament, I, I think of it as just kind of their irritability factor. But what, what does it really mean? What is child temperament? Well, I think a good way to think about child temperament is to sort of think of it as the, the foundations of, of personality. Okay. Uh, one, one metaphor I like for people who are musical, if you, if you consider somebody's life to be a symphony, then a temperament might be the key that that piece of music is in. Okay. And some people are generally live in A minor, and some people generally live in G major, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, and so, I mean, like, so some uh, run a little hotter. Some run a little yeah. colder. Some run a little more uh, anxious. Some run a little more right. laid back. Is that what we're talking about? That's right. A lot of times people will argue about the specifics, but a lot of people talk about temperament in three big dimensions. And one people often call something like extroversion. It sort of describes how much somebody likes a lot of stimulus in their life. They yeah. like a lot of people around. They like a lot of excitement. There's also a dimension that sort of refers to how easily somebody will be brought to experience a negative emotion, okay. like fear or anger. And then a third dimension is sort of a regulatory dimension. It's the part of you that says, you know, I feel like this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, overcome that because I've got a test to do or I've got a goal I have to accomplish. Okay, so that's extroversion, introversion. These are the different dimensions. This is how you kind of break down a temperament. That's right. Okay, That's right. Uh, extroversion kind of versus introversion. Uh, a negative emotion, I guess, yep. uh, management, or is that is that kind of like positivity, negativity? In a way, a lot of times we talk about approach behaviors and withdrawal behaviors okay. and then regulation. And then regulation, kind of emotional regulation. That's right. That's okay. Right. And, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, people can think about it in two ways. You can think about these dimensions and sort of everybody has a score along this dimension and everyone has a unique profile, but science has shown that there may be more around five different types. These combinations kind of go together in predictable ways. Okay. Let's, uh, in fact, let's get into the type. Now, so I guess what you're also saying then, if there's these, div- these dimensions and these spec- the spectrum, um, 
then every child, even though they come from the same gene pool, could actually manifest with a different kind of code of dimensions. That's right. Yeah, one myth about temperament is that it's purely genetic, and it really is not. Okay. When people do twin studies to, to measure this, most temperament dimensions end up being about 50% genetic and then 50% more from environmental influence. Okay. See, that's, that's good to know because I was always told that our temperament was because we were Irish. <laughs> and I had never been to Ireland and had never met anyone from Ireland and was still throwing fits when I was a kid. So apparently it's not that Irish temper, is it? No, I think there's probably more to it than that. I think Skye's got a little Irish in him. He's redhead. Uh, anyway, so tell me this, Doc. What are the five? Let's get into those five basic types. Yeah. Well, people call them by different things, but in the book, I've tried to uh, use these terms. So the, the one, one uh, category I call the moderate. So these are folks who have sort of average levels of, the, of all dimensions. Okay. There's what I call a, a mellow profile. So these folks tend not to get particularly anxious, um, but they don't have really high levels of approach behavior. Either. Okay. There's an agitated group. These folks have high energy, but they can tend to also experience negative emotions pretty quickly. Mm. There's a confident group. Uh, these folks may be higher in extroversion, more social, and they tend to have good regulatory skills and lower anxiety. And then an anxious group, and they tend to have higher levels of this negative emotion or negative emotionality and struggle a little bit more with regulation and tend to have lower extroversion. Well, it's interesting. So we've got moderates, mellow profiles, agitated, high confidence, and anxious. That's right. And it, it seems like each one of those uh, has its inherent strengths, but it's also kind of some baggage. That's right. And, and temperament dimensions are not good or bad. Okay. Um, I think all the dimensions, just as you say, have some elements that our culture considers generally to be good and some that are, are not so good. And it's interesting when people, an interesting thing to think about is when people describe the ideal partner or the ideal child, yeah. what they often do is they take the good parts of each dimension and throw away the other parts. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear people saying, I want somebody who is spontaneous yet punctual. Or, right. you know, uh, and, and what they're doing, uh, present company excluded, of course, is... <laughs> Is, is breaking up dimensions that are that are tough to do. Right. They're, they're combinations that are less usual in society. Well, you're like building this illusion of this, this person that really doesn't exist. Right. You you'll always will find exceptions, but yeah. uh, in general, you know, most people come prefixed with a combination of, of traits that have some good and some not so good qualities. Well, it seems like just as I go through it, there's a moderate, a mellow, an agitated, a confident, and an anxious. To me, that just seems like the perfect family i mean it's like having one of each i have one of each and it, it, yeah. it almost seems like you might yeah and there are families that probably do i mean there is a lot of variable from from uh, sibling to sibling as as you know yeah what contributes to this the, this type so some of it's just i guess genetic i guess but what else yeah. are, what are the other contributing factors well you know everything from cultural impacts to parenting um, to schools, to friends, and, you know, another myth, that, something that we're learning more about is we used to sort of think of genetics and environment as sort of separate pathways. Mm. And one of the things we're understanding much better now is that actually genes can influence environment. Yeah. Environment can actually influence gene expression. Well, yeah, so like, they're not as separate yeah. as we once thought. Well, and I, you can almost see that. If somebody's kind of the agitated temperamental type, 
and that's kind of let's even if that we could just attribute that all to his genes. If you come off too agitated and um, you know quick to emote negatively, you might also tick a lot of people off in the environment, and then they're going to exactly treat you right. differently, which would actually probably agitate you more. That's right. I sometimes like to use the metaphor, and, and since you're in Utah, I think you would get this that that kids like like big mountains sometimes generate their own weather. Oh, totally. Isn't that true? So that's where you're saying there's a mix, not just with the genes you're born with, but then how you engage the environment with those genes. That's right. And that has a fancy name uh, called an evocative gene-environment correlation. And it generally just means that based on somebody's genetic tendencies, they tend to pull out or evoke certain environments more than others. Well, and I've even, oh man, I've seen that just this week. So we have a child that... uh, he, he's, I guess he's maybe the agitator. I don't know. But he, he'll, just, he'll just start stirring the pot, and all the other kids will be there quiet, maybe even ignoring him. And he'll just start agitating, agitating, agitating until finally everyone's fighting and one of us is on him. And then he looks at us like, what? What is your deal? And now he's grounded. Game yeah, on. A very common scenario. Evocative. That's the word. That's right. And, the, and, as, and as your example mentions – what we do, the environment often tends to reinforce those initial tendencies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. So if, if a kid is born to be a little bit more irritable, it tends to provoke a little bit more irritability in the environment, and that can then send people off to the races and yeah. things can snowball. It's like we're, we're just so reactive kind of to, our, to each other. I guess it's really we, – and, and we, we, these, we don't get rid of these temperaments when we're like, oh, we're mature now. We're 18. I guess I'm done. We carry it with us, don't we? That's right. I mean, there have been studies where people have measured temperament for decades apart in the same in the same people, and you find correlations. That that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that you know what you're like at two is what you're going to be like at fifty. Yeah. Um, but you know, people can detect these these stabilities. It's interesting too because you you hear parents say, "Oh, I knew he was going to be this way when he was a baby." You know, I've heard, that, I've heard you, mom say that about the, their child in the womb. Yeah, no, yeah, really true, like kicking around, huh? Exactly. Uh, it, tell me this, because you hear a lot about birth order. And is, is, is there any, you know, veracity to the birth order concept? Does it matter where you're born, or is that just kind of environmentally how you might be handled? Uh, well, there's a lot of discussion about that. Um, most of the studies that I think have really measured this well have not found birth order to be as strong of a factor as people might expect. Okay. And, and, and not to get too technical, one of the problems with the study is that birth order and birth size and, and family size sometimes get confounded. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, birth order with two kids is different than birth order with six kids, probably. That's right. That's right. So, it, it, you know... There's a lot of people who will say that that's true for their family, and yeah. I, I wouldn't dispute that. But I think when you look at large groups of people, the other factors seem to be playing a larger role. Is there the sex difference matter? Do you see any difference in these temperamental styles based on gender? You do see some. Uh, you, yeah, you certainly do see some, and um, that can change according to age. Um, kids, you know, boys and girls can look more similar at certain ages uh, than others. And um, it's also worth saying that within boys or girls, there's a tremendous amount of variability. So I think we have to be careful yeah. about the stereotypes of, of yeah. temperament. You find small effects, but not as much as you might think. Well, and it, so it may not – this is – it seems like a great kind of instructive model to be able to figure out your, your child's temperamental type 
But like you're saying, you don't want to in your own. Yeah, in my own exactly. Then we can figure out some ways. In your book, does that get into that? How I could take mine to understand his and absolutely right. That's one huge. of the one of the fundamental principles of temperament is is it's not inherently bad or good, but it really can fit well or not so well with certain environments. Oh yeah, it's and so understanding sort of where your child is and where you are, um, I think can really help you know make the most of of what you're given with a child's temperament. I, I love it. It also seems like it would help in eventually helping you understand you. I have a client that has major, major ADD, and he, um, but he's an accountant, which blows my mind. Like, how did you get to accounting? Well, and, that but, might be that regulatory dimension. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? And so he ends up, but he ends up having to check everything 10 times. Yes. But he, he likes it. Well, I think as people get older, this ability to kind of control your impulses gets stronger for most people. And we've all probably encountered the person who you think is one way, and then they'll say, oh, I'm really shy. But they don't seem shy to you at all. Oh, right. I actually and feel I, that way. That's where I think yeah. that, that ability to control those impulses comes into play. Huge. We're talking with uh, Dr. David Ratu. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We are listening to David Ratu talk about understanding children's temperaments. He just taught us that the five different types of temperaments are anxious, mellow, moderate, high confidence, and agitated. Now that we know what they all are, let's continue listening to the interview to find out the pros and cons of each different temperament. It really, you know, humans just are, they're just so interesting. Um, and kids especially, we I think we think they're so much like us just because, you know, they're ours. But they're not. No, they really have a, a whole set of experiences. And I think we do well to try to see things from, in, from their perspective as much as we can. It's amazing. How many, um, how many times, I guess, in your field of psychiatry, you're not just dealing with you know, traditional issues. A lot of what you've got to figure out is, is this, is this an illness? Is this a, is this a disorder that the child might be presenting? Or is it just their temperamental issue? How do you, I guess you're seeing a correlation between the two? Yeah, that's right. And I think you nailed it. That's probably the most common question that I get in my clinical practice is they want to know whether, you know, their child has enough of something that it would qualify for you know, meaning criteria for a disorder. Hmm. And it's a tough question. Well, yeah, because you don't automatically want to peg your child for an illness or a disorder when it's just temperament. But then you also don't want to wait too long um, and and miss the boat either, do you? Absolutely. And it's looking more and more like that, at least in some of the some of the conditions that we deal with, we're really just talking about a matter of degree, at least on the surface. Okay. For so, things like uh, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, we all have an attention span. We all have an activity level. And when people measure it quantitatively, it, it kind of looks like a bell-shaped curve, just like right. blood pressure or height. And so our job is to sort of set some kind of rational and sensible 
speed limit, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and say beyond which, beyond this point, we're going to consider this to be a problem. And in psychiatry, actually, is not unique in this. I mean, the most common medical illnesses probably work that way too. You think about high blood pressure and right. hypertension, Type A kind or high of cholesterol, yeah. or even uh, diabetes. Um, you know, the continuum model is not just in our own field here. It's uh, so like one of the temperamental types you mentioned, again, we'll go through a moderate. Some people are just, you know, average kind of average levels, mellow Mm -hmm. profile, um, agitated, high confident group and anxious. It seems like to me, for example, if your child is, it comes from like the anxious temperamental type, they might be more distractible. They might be prone to, you know, anxiety, generalized anxiety, maybe some social issues. Absolutely. Lack of confidence. That's right. Generalized anxiety disorder, which is considered an illness, I think maps very closely to that anxious trait. Hmm. And social anxiety disorder maps very closely to shyness, which is part of that dimension. It's funny, too, because we we have we really do have, I think, one of each of these. Um, The mellow profile. I have a son that's so mellow. You're wondering if he's breathing. You know what I mean? And it's it's like, mellow, dude, come on, engage. Uh, What do you think? And it's interesting, then he might be less, I mean, he might, would he be more prone to social issues or engagement issues? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of these kids don't get a lot of intervention because they're often not causing too much trouble. Right. They're kind of just content to do their own thing. Um, But sometimes these kids need a, a nice shove in a direction to, to get them to do things that they might, you know, end up liking to do on their own. <laughs> it's it's got to be really interesting for you. I've always thought one of the hardest jobs in medicine is the psychiatrist, because it seems like historically you just didn't have as many tools or data as you're. And I know now you are, you are on the cutting edge of of so much new information as we're scanning brains and getting into understanding this a lot better. Um, it's got to be kind of a relief to at least have some general categorizations of temperament of your children so you can start to maybe peg some of their other their other um, symptoms. Maybe you can start seeing more symptoms and, and being able to diagnose stuff a little easier. That's right. Well, yeah, you're, you're right, Matt. And um, psychiatry, I think, has been behind in terms of science, and it's really – I'm really glad to see – uh, our field really embraced this incredible field of neuroscience. And yeah. while we've learned so much, I think we all are humbled by how much we still have yet to learn about this you know, unbelievable structure called the human brain. What, what are some more uh, examples? Like, I mean, what, what's a downside of, of your child kind of being a moderate, just being average level of most of the, you know, average in um, – in his desire to be extroversion or negative emotion. Is, th- is there a downside to that temperamental type? Well, I think sometimes there can be a, uh, a tendency to just leave these kids alone, that they, they, they can kind of feel like they're vanilla. Yeah. And they don't have that, that spark or, you know, those, that charisma that, that they see other kids having and, and being rewarded for it. So if you see if you see they're maybe trending and showing more of a temperamental type of a moderate, I guess are you suggesting a little more coaching and you know maybe pointing out you could pick up some of these levels you could you could call a friend you don't right. just you have to wait to help them develop their passions. Yeah, isn't it? 
uh, it seems like as if raising kids wasn't hard enough, it's almost like maybe that's why your book's going to be so helpful is we need the tools to to understand these. A lot of times we're fixing them without any clue what's really going on. That's right. And people comment all the time about how you need to get a license to drive a car and to do this and do that. But you don't have to have any kind of license to, to parent a child. Oh, man. And then sadly, some of our children are parenting children. And yes. and they haven't even developed fully. And so it's it's a uh, it's a big deal. What if you think of the temperamental traits? The, are there some that we should be really watching out for? What are uh, of the five styles um, and some of I guess the traits that go with that? Um, what what are some of the things we should be watching out for? Well, the the research on psychiatric disorders as they're defined has shown over and all over and over that this regulatory dimension, this ability to be able to keep things in check when you need to, is a critical dimension. And it underlies uh, many types of different psychiatric conditions that, that we see. So to be able to develop that skill as much as possible seems to be really critical to be able to, to meet someone's goals and, and uh, to live a happy and productive, productive life. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And I see that a lot like in my marriage coaching and stuff. The, the ability to recognize emotion, manage your own emotions, you know, cal- calm yourself right. down. That's right. huge, isn't it? And that doesn't mean being an emotional flat no, line. Yeah. It just means to be able to, to keep it in check when, when the need arises. Great. We're going to take a break. Come back. We're talking with uh, Dr. David Ratu. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're learning about a variety of temperaments that children can have and how to handle and understand them as parents. Dr. Atu just talked about how he uses a scale to determine the difference between a temperament or behavioral problem in kids versus an actual clinical condition, which is the question that most parents have a lot of worries about. Do their kids need a specific medication or could it be as simple as reacting differently to their behavior? Actually, I don't know which one is more simple. I think, I think honestly, it might be the medication. And that's probably why there are so many kids these days taking medication for stuff that they don't actually need. So before just popping pills to calm your child down, I think what Dr. Atu is trying to say in this interview is that we need to try to understand what's really going on with them first. In the last part of this interview, Dr. Atu is going to talk about what the five different types of temperaments look like in kids and how to react as parents to each one to keep your temperament from colliding with your child's temperament. Here's the deal, Dr. Atu. You were talking about the different temperamental types, right? Uh, moderates, kind of average levels in, in these areas we were talking about, areas like extroversion, introversion, negative emotion, their ability to uh, regulate their emotion. We have some mellow temperament. Uh, we have agitated, high energy, and can experience negative emotions. And high confident group. Now, is the high confident group like cocky? Are they just sure of themselves? Well, that's the danger. Um, a lot of people in the confident group are, you know, what a lot of parents would consider to be model kids. But when that group gets in trouble, that's often the direction that they get in trouble. Okay. And that you could see getting a little cocky all of a sudden 
you're going to start affecting your your uh, your environment. You're going to start making people mad. You're going to start getting some people that are going to get agitated simply because you are a little mouthy. You are too cocky. Right. Confident can progress to overconfidence and, and rudeness. Yeah. Isn't it, uh, you know, we just think they're just made this way. We just think they just appear. But, and, you know, and then we start thinking, oh, man, you're just like your grandma. But it may not be grandma's fault that they're just all of a sudden an agitated person. Yet some of it is still the genes, right? Some of it is. And one of the things that's, uh, that's interesting about genes is that sometimes the genetic effects on personality traits actually get larger as you get older. Mm. Uh, so people always make that joke about you know, women becoming their mothers or something like that. And you know, there's some basis that these genetic effects get, get stronger as, as we get older. No, they, just, is it, they just seat in deeper? What happens when they get older? I guess they've just been practicing it longer? Yeah, I don't think we understand it that well. And some of it may have to do with uh, genes causing certain environments to reinforce those tendencies, as we were talking about yeah. a little earlier. In your book, you talk about um, some practical applications. So you don't want to just you don't want to decide that, OK, my son is an anxious temperamental type and then just brand him and keep saying, well, the reason you're struggling, son, is because you're an anxious temperamental type. You don't want to it's not a branding approach. You really just want to use these to understand him better, maybe to coach him a little bit more in, you know, his schoolwork. Is that the ultimate goal? Yeah, I think you got it exactly right. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to use those terms. But if you do use those terms, I think you have to explain what you mean and what you don't mean. Yeah. So being shy doesn't mean that you're destined to be shy for the rest of your life. It just means that you have a biology that tends to react more in this direction, but it doesn't mean that somebody's helpless in terms of doing something about it. It seems powerful to also be able to point out people that also might be shy, you know, role models, you know, people in the you know, in the family that are also shy that have been able to overcome it. Some, And then, I mean, what's powerful is I even just sit here and think, if I knew as a job what my temperamental type was as I'm going out looking for an occupation, it might be really important to, to consider what your temperament is. I, I personally don't know that I could sit, for example, and just be with my children all day. I think if I had to do that every day, I'm probably, I don't know what I am. I'm probably an anxious, I don't know. But I probably a high confident and anxious. Can you have more than one? I think that there's all kinds of possibilities, and people can be a little bit of one type and a little bit more. I think all possibilities are there. But if I had but to sit, out a great, I'd go a crazy. Great point about parents, um, because I think we often want to show our best side to our kids, um, but a lot of times when we talk about our own struggles and things when they didn't go well for us, I think our kids can can learn from that just as much. Right. I mean, it's funny. We we almost don't want to be human, and part of being human, you're teaching us, is this temperament. It's just it's part of your code, and there's no harm to knowing your code. You just and it doesn't even brand you. It's not like you can't improve it. It's not like you can't adapt. But you need to know your code. You need to know. You need to know that you tend to react a certain way, and and maybe other people tend to react a certain way. And you know, one of the principal 
practical applications, this is thing that I call overriding. I think we all need to know how to override as parents because recognizing that our child's temperament will pull out of us certain reactions, and they may be very natural reactions, but they may not be the best reaction. And right. that's when we need to hit the override button and be able to think about this and think through it and say, maybe I need to take a deliberate step in a different direction. It's a little counterintuitive because we're always taught to parents in the way that feels natural, and I'm right. a big believer in that, but sometimes we have to parent in a way that's unnatural for us. Well, I've seen that. I, like, I've seen my wife, very social, uh, who wants, if, my, if I have a mellow boy, uh, um, or maybe even an anxious, that's sitting there that's not out playing with friends, my wife will start, you know, pushing Go be confident. Go out with your. Go out. Call your friends. Get out there. Get out there. And I, you can almost just see the anxiety rising in the child. Um, so she tends to parent from her style. I would parent from my style. And yet, in reality, I guess we need to, we, like you're saying, override our reaction to them, and probably maybe approach them from theirs in a healthier way. That's right. And most of the time, we do pretty well. I mean, I think uh, you know nobody has to be perfect no. in this, and we all. Uh, slip up from time to time. It just, I think it's worth a, thinking it through it and it's sometimes trying to take a different course. Do, do you think that parents, um, it, it's almost like we don't really quite know what we signed up for because we thought this was going to, we thought they were just going to be cute and, and we knew it would be hard. We always say it. We know it would be hard, but it's, it's hard. Hard is when they have such a different temperamental style from you and one that almost just agitate you, one that just sets you, because so, some of what you're saying here is the temperamental type also kind of leads to your own kind of fight-or-flight reactive approach to them, doesn't it? That's right, and, and one of the diabolical things about temperament sometimes is that parents have the exact same traits as their kids. Yeah. Not, not always, but that can be a tough combination, so if, if you tend to be a little bit more of an irritable parent, you might have a higher likelihood of having a somewhat more irritable child. And wow. then the two of you get in the same room, and it's, it's not really, it's not the parent's fault, it's oh. not the child's fault, but the chemistry when the two temperaments uh, collide can be what causes a problem. And in our clinic, that's the way we try to address it. We don't want to point fingers at the parent, we don't want to point fingers at the kid, but we say, you know, there's something about when the two of you get in a room together, and that is our, that's our target. It's powerful, because I think you're giving the parents a tool to kind of look at patterns, and start noticing patterns more. I mean, once you start seeing, oh, yeah, I'm here I go. I'm feeling that pattern when he's starting to play anxious on me. And when he goes anxious, I tend to go with him. It's Some of it's just starting to notice the problem a little bit earlier before you're emotionally flooded, isn't it? That's right. That And that's that override button. Yeah. And for anxious kids, I think parents have this very well-meaning and natural tendency to want to protect yeah. Uh, but that can sometimes lead to overprotection and then not, not getting the child to be exposed to what they need to be exposed to, to develop mastery over those anxieties. It seems like, I mean, are, are the brains of, do the brain, do the brains match temperamental types? Is, is, I guess I'm assuming the temperament is stored in the brain somewhere. Um, and you would probably be able, if you got into the imaging deep enough, be able to see something different. Is that possible? 
Yes, yes, and there's more and more neuroscience. It's not as though a radiologist could look at a, a brain scan and say, okay, well, here's yeah, the personality yeah. of your kid. But when you do these very precise measurements of different pathways, you can see subtle differences, and those differences are often in the exact same regions of the disorders that are corresponding to that trait. Interesting. So give us some more disorders. For example, what would, is there a disorder that correlates to moderates? Uh, no, I don't think that one really, because it, it, they're all sort of in this average dimension, I yeah. don't think that one correlates as well as uh, some of the others. I'm assuming with mellow, it's probably more depression. It could be depression. Sometimes it could be what we call the inattentive variant of, okay. of ADHD, okay. uh, where there's less of the H, less of the hyperactivity, yeah. and uh, then, what people call ADD. Yeah, and then the agitated, I guess, I'm, I'm assuming they tend to have more aggressive tendencies... Oppositional defiance. Oppositional know. defiant and a, and a trendy disorder that we're hearing a lot about these days is bipolar disorder. Yeah. And, and that profile sometimes uh, matches on to what uh, some people call bipolar disorder. It's back in vogue. That's kind of it scary. Certainly is. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that they're becoming is, – is it just that we're – are we diagnosing more correctly or is it just a recirculation? Well, the the, cor- the correct whether it's correct or not, I think, is an open question. But I think it's very well documented that that speed limit we talked about yeah. that speed limit has been dropping over the past forty years. So forty years ago, the only kids that were were labeled as autistic were really quite impaired. And now people use that term, that spectrum, to to you know differentiate kids who maybe have some of those behaviors, but they're really not so severe. And the exact same thing has happened with ADHD. It's interesting. We had a guest on the show uh, talking about ADD, ADHD, but uh, how in Europe, France, I think it's 0.5% of the children are diagnosed with ADHD. And in the U.S., I think it's like 11 or 12%. Is that I, just I the speed limit? I would say a lot limit? of that is the speed limit. Speed limit's it's dropping, speed so we're catching more people. Yeah. Isn't that... Right. Well, I mean, in a weird way, is is that healthy? I mean, it seems like we're also, I mean, I don't know. It seems like we're also starting to like, it gives these kids other labels that they wouldn't have had 30 years ago. I guess more help, too, that we wouldn't have had 30 years ago. That's true, but I would also say that there always will be there always will be labels, right? And uh, and so some may be better than others. And you might argue that well, you don't want to label as a kid as having ADHD, but being labeled as lazy isn't so great either. No, in fact, lazy is probably long term more damaging, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden so, it's like, oh, I guess yeah, it's just I have no character. Instead of, right. oh, I've got this way of having my brain work. What about the medicine? Uh, it seems like, too, as we're lowering the speed limit and, and catching more of these people with... Well, there's research that shows both. We're medicating, do you sense? Well, there's research that shows both. I, we are certainly using medicines a lot more, uh, but we also have some data that shows that of, uh, you know, 100 kids who have a diagnosable condition, only 14% of them are getting uh, a medicine. So oh, I think... Really? I think there's both. I I think you can argue both sides on this one right now. We certainly try to be as careful as we can with medicines, and we use this dimensional thinking in our our clinical decision-making. Just like if you had slight hypertension, your doctor might say, well, don't eat so much salt rather than pulling out the big medicines. Yeah. It's a, you know, it really is. It's, it's, it's still an art for, I mean, there's the science side of it, but as the doctor, you still need to read it one patient at a time, don't you? And and treat it one patient at a time. You can't just broad brush it. 
Absolutely. This is all very much an individualized uh, thing for each family. It's hard to make these broad stroke judgments. How have you seen this? I mean, the neat thing about your book is it's accessible to people. I mean, the average person can get it. They may not get into, you know, everything technical about it, every medical diagnosis, but it's a pretty cool idea to be able to better understand your temperamental style and your children. Do you get into specific, like, applications and tools for, for, say, for example, the anxious parent to deal with the agitated child? Do you get into that level of detail, or do you just kind of give more, you know, principles? Yeah, I will certainly get into that, and I'll talk about, you know, what does your kid kind of pull out of you? And, and what, how, do you, how do you have these natural reactions? And then to, to question them, is that working? Is there something else that you can do? And, you know, how does a parent's own temperament influence their reactivity to their child's temperament? Yeah. Help us with this. One more question for you, Doc. We're talking with Dr. David Ratu, child psychiatrist at the University of Vermont. Okay, give us your best. What's the most important thing? Just as a parent that a child psychiatrist would wants every parent out there to know about their kids? Well, I would want each, each parent to be able to know what their child's temperament is, to treasure it and value it for what it is, but to also be able to recognize that they can do something about the parts of a child's temperament that are getting in, in their child's way. Yeah, you don't just have to hate it. Exactly. You, you, can, you can understand it, you can relate to it, you can even actually create healthier relations by simply understanding it. Dr. David Ratu, so appreciate it. Child psychiatrist, University of Vermont. Go check out his website, childtemperament.net, and get that book we've been talking about during the show, Child Temperament, New Thinking About the Boundary Between Traits and Illness. Again, Dr. Ratu, thank you so much. Uh, really, I, it's, it's complicated, yet fairly simple, isn't it? Once we can gather the data from the minds that know... Um, Go figure out your child's temperament, temperamental trait or type. Uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Town. We're back with the rest of today's Matt Townsend episode. To finish off today's episode, we're going to listen to a short follow-up segment Matt did with Julie Nelson. She delves a little bit deeper into the subject of children's temperaments and about how to parent these different temperament styles. I was at a conference, um, a national conference, probably 25 years ago, and it was a revelation to me, Matt, because the, the 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 presenter actually talked about the original work of Chess and and uh, and Thomas, which he based his book on, and that work uh, was uh, it was through the 50s, 1950s, 1960s, and 70s, and on forward, and Dr. Ratau based his book on that, and they basically had three temperament styles. Um, and the ones that they mention in the book, uh, that he mentions in his book, um, are the easy. So the child, easy temperament. Yeah, the easy temperament or the difficult. Yeah, he, there's just three. It's easy to remember. Yeah. and then the slow to warm up. Okay, so the easy 
Uh-huh. Just super comfortable. They're, you know, yeah. they're the ones you don't worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the moderates. He would call them moderates. Yeah, he called them a moderate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was... Then there's the difficult. Yeah. And then there's the slow to warm up. Okay. Now, in the conference, uh, they kind of use the, these with an F acronym. So they would say the friendly, mm-hmm. the feisty, yeah. or the fearful. Okay. And those were easy to remember. And I remember sitting in this class, this 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 uh, seminar, and it was like the light bulb went on. I went, holy cow. First three children, one of each, one of each, you know, and it was like, I understand them now. But didn't you think like, how could you ever raise a feisty for example? Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't imagine having a feisty Mm -hmm. because I'm not feisty, obviously, and my wife's not. And what I loved about the conference and what I've studied since then is that in all temperaments, they have negative and positive yeah. attributes. So it's, you know, and this is what I have a hard time with is when I have see parents who have a feisty child or a difficult child. And even these traits are inborn um, and they manifest themselves at birth. And you have a child that's colicky, that's hard, that yeah. doesn't sleep through the night. And and the parent looks at another child, another baby, and their baby sleeping through the night at three months. <laughs> and they just sit there and coo. Yeah. And they, they just lay there. That's the easy And day. you're like, oh, what a good baby you yeah. have. And I think, does that make yours a bad baby? No. And it really concerns me that we label good and bad right. to traits because there's no bad baby and there's no bad child. They just have these inborn tendencies. It's what they, they are what they, they are. are what they are. Now, if you recognize that every every uh, temperament has positive and negatives and then you, like Dr. Ratau said, you override it or you help to socialize that child, mm-hmm. then you understand that all of them are good and all of them have you know, traits like even in his book, he said that um, temperament um, are both good and bad. He says in his book, the examples he gave in his book are such as someone who's punctual and responsible, mm. but they're not necessarily the life of the party. Yeah, right. Yeah. You didn't and even know they showed up. Yeah, yeah. And then you have someone who's charismatic and adventurous. You want them at your party. Right. 20 minutes they, late, though. That's right. <laughs> but they may lose their cool quite often. Oh, yeah. So you can't, in, in a spouse, yeah. you take the whole package. Right. You know, and that they are who they are. Now, you can override and you can socialize yourself so that you do less blowing off steam, you know, when right. it's inappropriate. But they who they are who they are. That's, so part of this is uh, the ability to just recognize we're mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And then as a parent, you don't want to label them, but you also don't want to pretend like the differences don't exist. They have their temperament. They have their style. What do you see? What are some things we should be doing as a parent to kind of override to and to, to maximize their, their good side, maximize their gifts? Good question, Matt. So here's two things I would suggest to listeners. One is is take those negative labels off. Because like Dr. Ratau said, yeah. lazy. I mean, do you want to really say to your child, well, you're so lazy? Yeah. So I tell um, uh, my parents that you can take a negative trait, such as you have a child who's really, really um, aggressive, and you say, you know, instead of saying you're so loud or you're so wild, yeah. then why don't you look at the positive side of that and say, gosh, you're enthusiastic. Right. Or, wow, you're an energetic. Yeah. You know, and, and a toddler, you know, you don't want to early on say, stop being so bad. Right. Because they don't fit my mold. Quit of talking. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I had a child once that I taught and he would misbehave. And then if you can believe this, he would misbehave. Then he would get this terrible look on his face and he would say, I'm a bad boy. Oh. And it broke my heart. Yeah. Because where has he heard that? Yeah. You know, I'm a bad boy and he's just reinforcing and he is an energetic child. And so, you know, if as parents, we can say, well, let's spin this around and say, okay, here's a test, Matt. Here you are. You have a stubborn child. Rather than saying stubborn, how can you turn that around? 
Uh, wow, you're sure um, confident in your approach. Mm-hmm. Right. And to a teenager. You jerk. <laughs> so go to your room. <laughs> See, then I can't hold it. No, you, you can't do those at the it. end. I always lose it. No, you won't. I was holding it, you, and then I lost it. No. Man, and, stupid. And period, end of sentence. Yeah. You, you end it. You are willing to persist in the face of difficulties. You know wow. what you want. Yeah. Now, you don't we, don't we want. want children to be raised like yeah. that have those minds? So they see it. Sex? You're just saying frame it as a strength because mm-hmm. it really is the strength. Mm-hmm. If if you if you frame their temperament as a um, as a weakness, mm-hmm. they will only know it as a weakness. That's right. If you frame it as a strength, they can start making lemonade. Right. So let's take Dr. Rattel's example that he gave you just a moment ago. Lazy. Yeah. You've got a lazy child. What are you going to say instead? Um. When your mom gets home, she's going to crush you. I'd <laughs> no. say that. And no, then I no, would, no. Okay, if they were lazy, I would say, um, see, I'm kind of sarcastic. Yeah. So a lot of mine are, if, if they were being lazy, I would say, man, you sure seem comfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With who you are. You, no. You, no, period. You cutie patootie. <laughs> yeah. You sure seem, what would you say for lazy? But, like oh, no, that. lazy, I would just say, um. Yeah, you, you sure seem comfortable mm-hmm. with who you are. Right, right. Like I they feel pressure right they, now. They don't need to be someone who they're not. They're they're comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. They're not out there pretending to be someone. Yeah, uh, relax. Uh, and you might interpret lazy as someone who just likes to be an introvert, who likes to sit on yeah. the couch and be home. And that person could also be interpreted as shy. Yeah. And I don't, I you know, I prefer not to, in a child's hearing, uh, in their presence, say, oh, like, for instance, if you were to introduce a shy child or, you know, this someone like that. This is my shy child. This is my shy child. You know, I would turn that around and, you know, she is someone who likes to take her time to warm up to people. To, to, to warm up to people. Well, tell me, if all of a sudden you keep hearing, this is my socially mm-hmm. um, bankrupt child. <laughs> I mean, all this, you have to deal with that? Like, I, okay, I'm shy. Mm-hmm. Even if you didn't ever frame yourself as shy, I've never framed myself honestly as an introvert or an extrovert. I had never framed myself, and everyone thinks I'm an extrovert, mm-hmm. and I probably am. But you don't want to feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Like, let me give you an example. I had a child, the um, one of them that was the slow to warm up one yeah. or the fearful one. Now, I don't call her fearful, yeah. but I say she takes her time to – because you know okay, – take this scenario. Okay, you're at the shopping mall. It's Christmas time. It's Santa's sitting there, and you have a line of kids, and they all want to sit in his lap. <laughs> then you have two kids. One is like, I can't wait to tell Santa. Yeah. I have a list of 10 things and he's in line and he's so excited and then you have one that's hiding behind your skirt yep. and and she's saying you know he's scary i mean he is scary that is the great that, temperament that is a scary test, that right? is a, the, the santa claus test that is the test and they won't go up there oh, because he's weird and he's yeah. dressed funny and he's a stranger right now am i going to force her to go sit on santa's lap no i'm going to recognize that she takes her time she's cautious that's and great. a cautious person is a good person That's because smart. they're not going to jump in doing crazy stuff. Well, you also, you know, she's not going to go up to the park and sit on any other stranger's That's lap. That's right. So she's going to be safe for That's you. That's right. So I say, well, I'm going to have I'm, this child's going to keep be safe. And I would like you to also consider as a parent, if you're a parent out there with a child with an extreme, is say, hmm, I wonder what Robin Williams was like when he was a child. Oh, man. All over the place. Can you imagine that? And did his parents... Uh, celebrate those that temperament 
and and then help him to <laughs> to to work with that and become who he is. Well, that's it. Half the half the jokes from these comedians are how their parents couldn't handle their temperament. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Let me give you another one. Emily Dickinson, the poet. Yeah. What was she known for? Oh, I bet she was quiet, A- introvert, shy. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, yeah. yeah, but and always yeah. writing. Yeah, but very sensitive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so was that a negative trait? No, she that was turned able out okay to turn out okay. So look at your child and say, what what kind of a person will they become with these magnificent traits that they have? And show others, mm-hmm. show them, show your introverted child, your quiet, shy child, show them an Emily Dick- Dickinson. Yeah. Show them these people. Yeah, and, and learn how to socialize. The one that was fearful, I signed her up for swimming lessons, okay? <laughs> disaster, if you can imagine, because we sat at the side of the pool. She would not get in the pool, not one toe. And all the other kids are in there splashing around, not wasting their parents' money, right? Because, you know, I paid for this thing. And can I be mad? I could be mad because she's wasting my money and sitting there and not swimming. Should you threaten her? This is where you threaten her. And you're like, if you don't get in that pool right now, I'm going to throw you in that pool right now. (laughs) Right. Is that right? i got to recognize and see the world from her point of view. We talk about the goodness of fit in in parenting and temperaments. The goodness of fit, because I might be an extrovert parent. She's an introvert child. Am I going to force my... Self Your on style her. On My her. style, no, no. So you know, I can say something like this: I know how scary it is for you to try to do something new and go in that water. That pool looks big. To a five-year-old, that pool is Huge, massive. Right. And so I want to say, let's take the, let's take some time till you feel comfortable and watch and see how the other kids do it. So and it might good. take a few lessons for her to see how other kids do it. She's going to be cautious. She's going to be deliberate about this. And eventually she's going to stick her toe in. But that's a positive trait if I just look at oh, it I that told, way. I want you to raise me. Yeah. Like that's really good because I, when I, I was thrown in a pool mm-hmm. by the swim teacher. Yeah. He taught me to drown. And I hated that guy. Yeah, yeah. Because not it's be not rude, a goodness of fit. No. You're, that person is is trying to force you to see the world that they'd see it. Yeah, but you're drowning. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. That's right. So let's look at the three temperament okay. styles, Matt. We got flexible. Now, that's positive. Now, that's the person who's the moderate that's easy to get along with. Kind of with. adaptive. They can adapt they, yeah. to the, the condition. The positive traits are they can be involved easily. They're well-liked. Yeah. Have lots of friends. No stress. They're flexible. But there are some negative traits. Such as they tend to be followers because they want to be well liked. Yeah. They're pleasers. They look to others to you know to make those decisions and don't make demands. So they can be overrun hmm. and be taken advantage of. So look at the caution yeah. and and look how to socialize them where you would set set time aside with them and say, tell me about your what you're feeling because they wouldn't be assertive with their feelings. Now who's going to be assertive with their feelings? The, the feisty, the feisty dom. Yeah, there's no yeah. question how they're feeling. Oh yeah. So they're that's the leader, a, too. That they they're get, the leader. And they'll get these others to follow them. That's right. I would I would submit that a lot of people that are those CEOs, are all, we're all feisty oh, kids. Oh, feisty. Yeah. Like and Sky so, Boy. Yeah. So see that in your five-year-old feisty child and say they're going to be magnificent someday. Yeah. You know, They're going to be the great athletes that are out there. I mean, they had energy going out there. Oh, and they great. try everything, and they're not afraid. And Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. In a family, if you have a feisty... Like my number one's a feisty, and my number two is a fearful. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's almost like I, I always joke that my feisty created my fearful because my <laughs> feisty took all the sunlight, and my fearful never got to grow because the tree was growing over him. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's do fearful then. Like we said before, they're easy to keep safe. Yeah. Right. They're Great gonna... kid. He's the perfect child. That's never right. did anything right. wrong. Yeah. And so they're going to be overlooked in school. So you got to yeah. really be careful about them. But they have hot. They have fewer friends, but high quality yeah. friends. Depth. Yeah. The depth, and they're more selective. 
uh, of what they're going to do, but they when they do select, they're very loyal to those selections. I love that. But they're quiet, uh-huh. which could be good or bad. They right. could be overlooked at school, so you got to be more an advocate in their school. They're more deep thinking. They're the Emily Dickinsons yeah. and the great philosophers of the day. This is my kid that thought about his job since he was like 12. Right, right. They're more reflective. Yeah. They're more sensitive about themselves and others. Hmm. So those are some positive traits, but negative, again, they're going to be passed over, ignored, and those they're non-risk takers. So you got to yeah. over override that and socialize them and say, you know, how can I help them build those friendships and feel positive about those? How can I encourage them to eventually take new steps in, in the direction, but slower yeah. steps? Oh, yeah. That, that fit their little style. And absolutely stick to routines because they love routines. Yeah. They the want, predi- they want predictability. I had one kid that when we dropped him off at, uh, at kindergarten, he came unnutted. <laughs> For weeks, he wouldn't he wouldn't get out of the car, yeah. and so we we would literally pull up, and the principal would gro- we'd open the door, and the principal would grab him, mm-hmm. rip him out of the car, trauma, mm-hmm. and we would drive away, yeah, and shut the door, and so. But we knew right then, this is the kid that's kind of going to be fearful. Yeah. So you got to have that goodness of fit. The kindergarten drop-off first day is another Santa in the mall test. It is. And so you got to prepare the fearful children a lot more oh, for yeah. that predictability. You might even take them to school ahead of time and walk them through the classroom and help them to see where they're going to sit and, and do a lot more preparation than the kid that just says, bye, mom. Yeah. I don't the want you to, never I don't want you to walk it. me to class because I'm good. Well, see, you have to know that because yeah. – you can, and you can't be mad. How can you be mad that he's fearful? Right. It's That's a strong quality. It's just, right. Look at the strength. Now let's go to the fearful. Of course, I'm sorry, the, the feisty. They're aware of their environment. They're assertive. They're smart. They're risk takers. Now these are all leadership qualities, right? right? Okay. And um, so they, they, you know, are very enthusiastic. Okay. Let's, let's talk about positives. And when you see your child who's just driving you crazy, look at the positives. Uh, what what can you see them doing in the future as leaders and as adults that these traits will be good yeah, for? Yeah, they're going to influence people. Absolutely. Powerful. Yeah, they're very influential. Now, there are negatives because they test your limits. As a parent, <laughs> that's the last thing you want. They have an opinion. In a seven-year-old, yes. Yeah. They don't want to cooperate if things don't go their way. They're disruptive. Yeah. Yeah, and they do make you tired and frustrated and Ugh. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's where you just, I just wish I had that really fearful one that sat quietly in the corner and never moved. Right. I'd give anything for but that But don't one. compare your kids again yeah, because, man. Yeah, you can't win. No, never. But, and, and you don't want them. You want them as them. You want them as them. So recognize the negatives and such as, you know, and what those things are. But the, the way that you look at it positive are that you want to provide for these fear, feisty children, these energetic children, lots of space for working out their energy. Yeah. For working out those frustrations. Work off because they have so much energy. Less sugar. <laughs> exactly. Less sugar, yeah. Yeah, work off their frustrations and allow for choices because these are the leaders of the future and they want to make decisions mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So give them, that, give them the power to make decisions. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I guess to and teach them that we have these differences, we have these styles, mm-hmm. because teaching them to adapt not just to their style but to other people's styles. Yeah. If you could start saying, "Look, that child's just a little more fearful," and so mm-hmm. and you're a strong leader, so mm-hmm. sometimes you got you overpower them. So why don't we just yeah. try to back it down a little? Absolutely, bit? good point. Then all of a sudden they can be a good partner someday. Yeah, because in a, in a in a social situation with friends, you can have one who just bosses everyone around, oh, and yeah. the rest of them just have nothing to say or do. Skyboy. That was Skyboy. <laughs> so they have to really be able to see the dynamics of that group and say, you know, what if you let them make some decisions, mm. you know, or yeah. why don't you listen to them for a minute and see what they have to say. I love it because you're giving them this this opportunity to 
to start to see people from another frame of reference mm-hmm. and a little more empathy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I think that was really profound what Matt just said in this last segment. If you frame someone's behavior as a weakness, then they will always just see it as a weakness. But if you frame it as a strength, then they can take it and make lemonade. And that's really true, not just with children, but with everyone around us. If we constantly label others and point out their flaws, they will constantly just be believing that's who they are and maybe always be trying to overcome those things about themselves when really each negative attribute has a positive side to it. So people don't necessarily need to overcome parts of their personality, but rather maybe channel them in more productive ways. I love that. Well, thanks for listening to today's show, everyone. Be sure to join us again tomorrow for more Matt Townsend.